Hi guys, I'm Betsy. And I'm Kaylee. And this is the Nacho Mama Pod. The Nacho Mama Pod are not experts of anything but talking. If you need medical or professional help, we do encourage you in finding the appropriate resources. Please know we are just speaking of our experiences or of the experiences of other and have no medical degrees. We want to add a extra trigger warning at the beginning of today's episode. Anya discusses infertility, miscarriage, abuse, depression, and suicidal idolization. We thank her for being so open regarding her journey and struggles, but want to encourage you to skip this episode if any of that could be triggering. Your health matters most. Hello. Hi. We have Anya here with us today and very excited. She has an incredible story and um, she's doing amazing things in our community. So I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it and um, ask Anya to introduce herself and anything she wants to tell us about herself. Good morning. Good morning. morning. So my name is Anya. I am the face behind Finding Childless Joy. Our final embryo did not implant a few days before Christmas. And interesting enough, I was very open about that failure on all of my social media platforms, minus LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Why did you post it there? (laughs) You know, it's funny you ask. I (laughs) did, however, think that if I let people know, even though I'm young, you can hire me. I'm not going to go off on maternity leave because like, I mean, like you can promote me. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm never going to have a sick (laughs) child at home. I also just didn't want people at work to like know me as the infertile woman. Understood. Uh, the infertile women are failures, something is wrong with us, we're broken, you know, and I just didn't want people to look at me with that pity and be like, what is wrong with her? Like, what right. did she do to piss off the universe so much that she can't be a mom? And so anyway, I just kind of left it off LinkedIn. Sorry, I'll, I'll post it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but when I posted about my failure in December, I came across a hashtag on Instagram felt like Alice in Wonderland just falling into this like long dark tunnel of infertility community and the hashtag I found was infertility is a gift oh okay I don't even follow that one so that's interesting I didn't follow that one either I just found that like it, it that post happened the day before or a couple of days prior and everybody was just like talking about it, like how infertility is not a gift. And to me, because my failure occurred right before Christmas, I, I mm-hmm. it just felt like there is nothing gifty about it. Like uh, it, it's so cruel. And so, and I discovered a lot of new accounts and I started following them and I was just like, should I make an infertility Instagram yeah. page? You know? Yeah. Um, And so here I was, and my husband was very apprehensive about it because he was like, well, now this is going to be your identity. Now this is going to be who you are. Is that how you want to identify? And I'm just like, well, no, but I really need that support because people in my life didn't know how to support me. People in my life kept on telling me, 
oh my gosh, I had my baby at 42. Don't worry, Anya. Or you have nothing but time. Or I mean, like, they always told me that it's going to end with a baby. And the longer we were in it, the less likely it looked for us. And it was really hard for me to follow childless accounts because I realized how this is very, very likely to be me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if I follow those accounts, if I engage with those accounts, I will manifest that to be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I started following Chasing Creation, Katie, only because she had hysterectomies. Yeah. Right. And then I found Betsy, only because Betsy had a hysterectomy. It had nothing to do with them being childless because, like, my husband and I were in the midst of pretty bad, like, disagreements about our next steps. Okay, but my husband was just at the end of his rope with infertility. Like, it's taken so much from us. It our does. entire <laughs> our entire marriage has been nothing but heartbreak. Mm-hmm. We got married in April of 2016, and in September we lose his mom to breast cancer. And I remember laying in the hospital while she was in ICU. And in palliative care, the one right before hospice, and I'm holding onto my stomach and I'm laying on the couch in the lobby and I'm praying to all the gods out there. And I was like, please, please, please let me be pregnant. Maybe this will give her a chance and opportunity or the extra oomph to live. Maybe that will help her fight this. Can I also just say like that pressure that you're putting on yourself, like that you get pregnant to help this woman live is just insane but that's how you think when you're in it like I know like the world is depending on you and that's just incredible incredible it's just incredible and it's it's crazy because like she was such a good mom Mm -hmm. and I just like if we make her grandma like she would just like it will give her life and as psychotic as that was, but like, this is what I was thinking. This is what I was hoping. And a few days later, she passed away and people would come up to me and they're like, she'll give you a baby. Like, she's now going to give you the baby. Like, that is like, that is how world works. Like one goes and one comes. And I mean, and I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I I believe that to be true. Right. I, I believe that there is some karmic, um, equation that would like make that my reality and then it didn't happen and month after month after month like when you do everything right ovulation tests pregnancy tests um, timing your intercourse taking your temperature I bought like a thing that I slept with in my ear because like I always forgot to take my temperature before getting out of bed I think it's called like Yono and I slept with that ear piece in my ear so I would um, know my temperature. I was working at Chrysler at the time as um, like, like a rag design engineer. I designed packaging for future vehicles. And the plant I was supporting was a Toledo assembly plant, which is a good two-hour drive one way from my house. My husband was grieving the loss of his mom, and we were also actively trying to have a baby so anytime it would be around my ovulation time I wouldn't be able to stay in Toledo I would drive home every day so like we could do it 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 was 
so much pressure. It was unfair to us. It was unfair to me. I couldn't continue to grow in that career. Well, I'm, I'm still in that field, but it's just that I had to choose my family building planning over opportunities career-wise. And I think like two years into it, I, um, into our marriage, I basically was like, all right, this is it. Like, I don't know what else to do. We need to go seek help. Maybe it was a year after. I don't know. Like, it all just blends into like one occurrence. And I at times like forget how many losses we've had. As a matter of fact, like last night I was driving, preparing like my train of thought for this podcast with, oh my gosh, we had a miscarriage and I don't remember it. So uh, we went we went to my OB and she put me on Clomid. And Betsy, it's so funny you said how much you hated it. Like Clomid made me psycho. Yeah, it does. Psycho. It makes you a whole different person. Like it yes. makes you bananas. And I like sometimes like while I was on those five or six rounds, uh, I was like, is that the real me that I've been hiding for so long? <laughs> for so good. Did she finally get out? Yeah. Yeah. Suppressing this demon. <laughs> yes. So we, uh, we woke up one morning. It was a weekend and my husband gets out of bed and I was like, what's with your hair? And he was like, excuse me. I was like, why is your hair like that? And he was like, he's like, well, what's, what's wrong with it? I was like, it looks terrible, Matt. Like, why is your hair like this? And I'm like, actively arguing with the man about the way his hair looks when he After gets out he just of bed. Woke up. <laughs> and my husband is if you've seen him if you've met him like he's one of like the nicest people he's kind calm and patient he's like the opposite of me and I'm just like this like ah so when he wakes up he's even nicer <laughs> just like, he's like well, what do you want and I'm like what is with your hair you know and, and I'm just like I don't think this is what I'm trying to convey. I don't know why I'm arguing about this, but I'm sorry. And I like walk away. And of course, like the way I am, I cry in the corner. I was like, what is wrong with me? So anyway, um, the next day I'm going into work and I'm driving home from work on the freeway. And it's separated by like cinder blocks, like two directions. And I'm going 70 miles an hour. And I was like, I wonder what it'd be like if I drive into this separator. That's a real thing. Yeah. And I've never been suicidal. I mean, I've considered suicide for attention. I never truly thought, like, if I kill myself, like, I want to kill myself. Like, my life is not worth living. But I have considered, through everything I've been through in my childhood, like, if I were to, like, be on life support, would people treat me better? So um, back to Clomid, um, I I was driving, and I'm just like, I, like, what would happen? Like, if I drive into the cinder block, like, would I like cause like a few car pile up? Like, would that like really injure me? And I'm like fantasizing this. So I get off this one exit, not a fun exit to get out of, uh, because like, it's really hard to get back on the freeway. And I was just like, I'm sitting like on the parking lot shaking. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me. So I come down, I drive home and I'm like, I don't think I want to be on this thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And ironically, I stopped ovulating in Clomid. Oh, that's yeah. interesting because it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and my doctor's like, we're going to double the dose. And I was like, we're not going to double the dose. Like, because I think that center block will be my future. 
yeah I was really really scared of it you know um and so Matt was with me at the doctor and he was like well like we should trust the doctor they know what they're doing and I was like Matt we I trust her but I don't trust me like right there is a difference between like her knowing that it works but there's her not knowing how it affects my psyche right right or my psycho we've <laughs> talked a few times about how the procedures the medication the avenues they take us they don't give enough of a trigger warning of the consequences they don't talk about what's going to do to your body they don't talk about what's going to do to your mental and then long term i have never once heard clomid makes you could make you feel a different way or just like a you know, medication you take if you are depressed. There's those type of triggers. I haven't ever done Clomid because I can't do Clomid. But it's new information to me talking to women that has done Clomid. Like, mm-hmm. no one would have ever mentioned it. They've talked yeah. through Clomid with me. The reason they took it away is because I have already miscarried. I'm already in high risk. I can't have it. And it's so funny because we went in death about it. And then also I talked to women who's actually went through and they're like, hey, by the way, I was depressed. I was stressed. I was picking fights. I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, obviously, yeah. it's my hormones, but no one tells us. It should it be the first thing they tell us. It's, it, and you're right about that. It's interesting how they always talk about, like, side effects, about, like, all the other medicine they advertise, you know? Yeah. It does this, 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 and that, where with infertility and assist, um, reproductive, <laughs> assistant reproductive medicine, nobody really talks about any of this. No this morning I was like scrolling through somebody's page and she talked about how like seven rounds of IVF gave her a condition a medical condition I mean yes (laughs) and you know it's really interesting I've thought about it like what are the repercussions for our bodies to go through numerous rounds of hormonal treatments how is it going to affect us long term because Mm -hmm. There are a lot of hormonal cancers. Breast mm-hmm. cancer is one of them. Um, your ovarian cancer, your uterine cancer, your cervical cancers, any of these, how do those affect women? Yeah. And nobody and really funny, discusses them. If you press them, there are a lot more findings out there than you know. My next step would have been to take a breast cancer medication because it has a side effect that helps your eggs get into a better ovulation state. And I was like, well, uh, this sounds real scary. What would that breast cancer medication, what could it do to me? And then we went to that conversation. I was like, you literally just made me sound like that was my fix-all. Make an educated choice about what risk I'm willing to take for my body. By the way, I also have a chronic illness. What is that going to do to my body? That's what was really interesting to me um, to listen to my doctor just the other day we were talking when I was talking about my hormones and um, I was talking about how I've never liked how I felt on birth control. And he was like, well, for someone um, with endometriosis, sometimes birth control is like adding fuel to the fire. And um, never, ever have I been told that in my life because it's always been presented as a fix or a cure. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, I was like, oh, well, that's cool to know that like years and years of birth control could just add all of this extra fuel to my endo. So I was never on it very long. I know Kaylee's been on it birth control a long much much longer than I ever was but it's just interesting to hear those things I did all these rounds of Clomid and so then my husband wonderful human but he was just like well let's just keep on trying and so after Clomid we had a chemical pregnancy 
And then we got another pregnancy, the one I completely actually forgot about. And the reason why I knew, I, I remembered it because I was like, what did infertility rob me of? Like, what are those things that I stopped doing because we were hoping to have a family? We didn't travel to a lot of destinations because of Zika. Uh, we did. We didn't take any of like um, promotions or we didn't really truly pursue expat opportunities, which both of us were really, really eager to do. I mean, I growing up in Russia and now living in America, I have a little bit less of an attachment than my husband does because that's his like homeland. Sure. To me, I'm like, I'll make friends anywhere. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, where for my husband, it's a little different. Like his whole life is here. Yeah. And um, so an expat opportunity would be a fantastic way of trying it out and we can always come back. Like there's a job security and I'm just like, let's drop everything and move. Yeah. <laughs> screw it like nothing good ever happened here or this house like everything reminds me of all the losses we've been through uh and matt was like i think like let's just live it a little longer here you know so anyway and then i remembered we got scuba certified Ooh, yeah we did all the classes we took the test and we went scuba diving in ohio at the quarry (laughs) um and we get back from Ohio and I have a miscarriage. I didn't know I was pregnant. And I thought about it and I was like, I'm never going to go scuba again because it killed my baby. And um, there, there are no like studies that confirm that, but they do not recommend scuba diving while pregnant because of the pressure. When I talked to my doctor, she's like, Anya, like you were so early, it wouldn't have affected. Also, you were doing a test. You didn't go that deep. Like true scuba diving is not recommended because you go really, really deep. She's like, how far did you go? And I was like, 20 meters. She's like, it's, she's like, honestly, it is something, but it is some, it it isn't something because it's so, it's so early. And, but you still blame yourself. Like, how Mm -hmm. could I possibly do this to myself but I didn't know I mean right I knew I wouldn't have done it no I it's a common grieving process I I fully relate I was mad at myself for um having intercourse before I started spotting bleeding and they're like no it's totally normal I was like no I did it like I did it everything was going right and then I decided to have intercourse and now I'm bleeding and they're like no like you couldn't have stopped a heartbeat by that you know what I mean it's just a very especially in my belief, people who have struggled with getting pregnant, when you are pregnant, it's like, it finally happened, you're so happy, whatever, no matter the time frame, you knew it, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you get that knowledge post, like it was there, you were, you did what you wanted, you made that dream come true. So then to lose it after you already think you're broken, because it's taken so long to lose it, then you're like, wow, I'm terrible. It's definitely me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the issue. And the problem, I think also like, when nobody gives you a diagnosis, there is no explanation. And I think the way we've been brought up, there's a reason for everything, right? Like mm-hmm. when good things happen, you've earned them. When bad things happen, you deserve them. Mm-hmm. So when bad things happen, like a miscarriage or infertility, you automatically turn inward and you're like, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to cause this? There has yeah. to be a causation. Therefore, it's me. There definitely is a problem with it becoming so normalized mm-hmm. is that it is not as commonly like looked at as a, like an actual death of a baby. It's just like a early miscarriage or something like that. Um, so I think well, that, that is definitely an issue. 
I saw on Insta this morning Zoe Clark, whatever her last, it's a hyphenated last name. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of like grieving for lost moms. Yes, she does. And she posted, uh, stop calling my wanted baby product of conception. Okay. And it's really crazy because like every time they were like, no, like product of conception or found product of conception. And it's just like, this is product of my wanted baby. Like, how are you dehumanizing it? And in medical terms, they call it involuntary abortion Mm -hmm. and And it's like, can we call it something more which comforts us? It's a loss. I mean, that's, that's really, it is. It's a loss. And I, I keep on going back to my last year in the hospital when I had an ectopic pregnancy and then I had a DNC and then I had a hysterectomy and nobody let my husband be there with me. Yeah. And then I see that dads are there welcoming their babies and I just feel so singled out and so unworthy and so alone because I am not deserving of support but when somebody delivers a baby that they get to bring home gets to have their husband there they get to have this baby for the rest of their lives and I look back at those four nights in the hospital is the most traumatic time of my life, let alone yeah. they play that stupid lullaby to celebrate those births. It's like, how much more can one take? There's a taboo about having chronic illness and infertility and miscarriages, and women don't feel comfortable or safe speaking about it, and that falls into every way we experience it, right? There's a loss yeah in process or at least recommended for you know just the basic rights of like pto lead time if you miscarry so you have time to mourn that loss like the failed yeah i think that's huge oh yeah, yeah that's why i posted that portion because it's not just like you physically yeah. miscarry it's you lose the chance to be a parent and bill maker to experience that to then start the bill right it's just very taboo to have these conversations and then you miscarry or you have a hysterectomy or you deal with your infertility and then you're expected to keep quiet and mourn it by yourself. I don't have a village. My yeah. village like all walked away on me. Like the people that you've been there going to their baby showers, throwing their baby showers, yeah, going to their children's birthday parties. As soon as like I experienced this tremendous loss of my pregnancy loss last year, which tomorrow would be the one year anniversary when I went into the emergency surgery. I think of you. And the fact that like people from my life that I've been there since that I've known for 15, 20 years, just kind of like didn't know what to say out of convenience and their own comfort blows yeah. really, really like it literally like hits below the waist. It does. I'm really, really glad that you touched on that actually, because I have, that was one of my questions for you is like, um, what you wished there was in regards to support for childless people. I really honestly, like, first of all, I'm so tired of people saying like, well, why don't you just adopt? Or why don't you like consider surrogacy? For one, nobody offered to be a surrogate for me. None of my friends that have had multiple children, not my sister-in-law, which I didn't expect any of this. 
Yeah. But you know what? Like none of them even consider to say like, hey, I love you so much. I'll do it for you. I love you so much. And I think you would be a fantastic mom. But instead. But the thing like too is everybody is so quick to like, well, go and adopt. I mean. Yeah. Go and adopt someone else's child. Like, and my, my next question is like, well, why don't you like give me one of yours? If you think I'm going to be such a good mom, why don't you carry one for me? Or the, I think people are just uneducated. They mean well, they want you to see your goal. Right. But they don't understand like even the financial impact of the idea of adoption or the emotional tolls or they don't know I'm what both. you've tried, right? Yeah. I think when women have loss of children, they quit sharing their opportunities because they don't believe it's going to come true. You really don't know what you're handing on. Um, and I know, especially with family, it's because they love you. I have that conversation often with like my mom because she'll be like, I'm just so sorry for what has happened to you. And I was like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, I need you to not feel sorry for me. I don't need pity. Yeah. I do not need your pity. I need you to accept that I'm accepting. I have accepted it. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I know yeah. people don't know how to act. They don't know how to behave and they don't know necessarily know how you're feeling, but uh, yeah, it's, it is very much. I don't need your pity. Yeah. Like my father-in-law, Matt's dad, well, obviously it's Matt's dad. Um, <laughs> um, he is a very tender hearted man he's very kind and um even though georgian my mother-in-law has passed away five plus years ago he still grieves her a great deal and so he's very like emotional but he's like this big guy like you wouldn't expect him to be emotional but he um he always says i think it's really hard for you and he gets teary-eyed to see other women post on social media bragging about their children and I can't imagine what it's like to continuously see that. Oh. And I was like, it's, it's impossible. Like, I was like, dad, I don't know how to tell you. Like, I don't like some days it doesn't hurt other days. It, it just feels like somebody's like stabbed me in the heart and keeps on twisting that knife. And he's like, and the only way you'll get through this, if you have a baby in your arms. Uh, that's not true. And I was like, uh, well, so I I'm like, no hope. I was like, the only way I'll get through this is when people around me stop saying those things. Yeah. The only way I'll get through this is when people recognize that this is my life and they support me as is. Also, they su- when they, they realize that your worth is not t- t- tied to another human, a child. My happiness is not tied to a child. Absolutely not. And I think I I struggle with a lot of women and and I hope it doesn't come off the wrong way. I struggle with women when they say to me, like, I'll never be happy until I have a baby. I will never, like, feel fulfilled until I have a baby. There are people who genuinely are are in that cycle of infertility, though, that feel that yeah. way. I've been there. Like, I, I'm sure I was there that I was like, how am I going to how am I going to make it through this life if I do not get a preg- if I do not have a baby, if I do not get pregnant? Like, I think that when you're stuck in that cycle, it is mm-hmm. such, it, that's exactly what it is. It's such a vicious cycle. Like you have an end goal in mind and that is it. And I, I'll play devil's advocate just a little bit. I feel like for me, the biggest struggle is the fact that I haven't had a final no. 
Right. I'm infertile. I can't have kids. I've struggled with this for a decade. It's not a thing, but I still have my uterus. Yeah. There's something right? about that finality, like of losing your uterus that will abruptly <laughs> and kind I of help you come to you a can get to that realization right but I just feel like it takes you like it's it's another step to process through that I still could but now I'm having to truly make that choice knowing from my mind my body right it's kind of how you feel when it comes to surrogacy or adoption because technically there's still choices right but they're not choices for your life and you've came right. to those terms I feel like it's taken me longer to kind of get to that step and I wish it didn't take me so long to yeah. even realize that Anya, because there was a while there that I was just like, well, I'm still broken, but like science will catch up. I'm still broken or something. And now I'm getting to the point that I'm like, okay, no, it's, it's just not going to happen. And you need to realize that like, you have to find your purpose outside of that. Yeah. No matter yeah. what's in your body or outside of it. Well, and back to those women it, and it really hurts me for them because yeah. it's like, there's the society has conditioned you to believe that your happiness resides in that one little tiny yeah. human a you will never be happy because you have like fantasized this motherhood to be something that it isn't right and b how unfair it is for this newborn to fulfill you mm -hmm. it is and, and and it's just so wrong also, and, the pressure that that child will continually exactly. have their entire life. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with adoption, too, right? Like, adoption after infertility is a selfish act. It's a selfish act. You're continuing something you started, and you bring this child that has been through either parental separation from and, like, foster care or parental separation and, like, now has to, like, adjust to brand new bodies around him or her. And you are just continuing on the track of fulfilling what you started. It's like you just broke up with a boyfriend. You just broke up an engagement. And you meet this new guy and you take him down the altar on your wedding day. Right. That's literally what it's like, but for a brand new human. And I just I think, think it's it definitely can be. I think what is hard about our society is we have this one track mind or this one idea of what your life's going to be. And we're in this area where we don't want to talk about it, which means we're not recognizing it. We're not healing from it. We're not doing it. You definitely can be. We even talk to people that talk about being a displaced adoptee and how they feel that oh, way. Yeah. It's all on the individual. You have to heal from your trauma before you jump into something else. And when you keep exactly. that all inside, you're not talking about it. I don't think a lot of women even have the mindfulness to start to heal before they jump into the next option. They treat it just like Clomid or IVF. This actually well, all really reminds me of, I have a conversation yeah. with one of my dear friends who uh, is a birth mom who had to place her child for adoption at 16, 17, yeah. something like that. Um, and so I asked her like how the question, um, when, when we're told just to adopt, like how that affects her. And um, mm -hmm. basically she said a lot of these same things, like the healing, like you basically, mm -hmm. you need to heal yourself before you're going to take on another human so that that adoptee is not continuing that cycle of trauma. Yeah. Because I mean, like, I feel it is, it's not a child's job to make you happy. It's, right. a, it's, it's a child's job to like add more to your life, but not be everything to your life. I kind of want to like 
backtrack a little bit, like a while. Um, Do it. So I want you how to far? Back, like your history. To the beginning. Will you say your name? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you got to reintroduce yourself. Let's start over. Oh my God. Yes, let's redo this. I'm, I've always wanted to redo my life. Um, um, so, okay, so let's uh, let's go to the point that brought you to your hysterectomy. Yeah. Like, well, so. I actually also remember that in 2018, 2019, I went to my doctor and I said, I want a hysterectomy and okay. they refused. So um, let's kind of backtrack a little bit more. So I had Clomid, I had miscarriages and I went to a fertility doctor that ended up abruptly retiring after doing like all the baseline work, all of our uh, genetic testing. It was like $4,000 altogether, that one visit. And then she just retired. I mean, she was older, so it wasn't like right 25 year old your money and run (laughs) yeah 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 no that was all legit and they transferred us to a different clinic and the different clinic wanted to put me in Femara and I'm like I'm not doing Femara like I tried Clomid like let's do something aggressive I am 34 years old and and she's like no no let's do this like you don't have insurance coverage let's try to save you money and I was like I don't really care about money like let's get me pregnant I'm gonna be 35 geriatric hello um (laughs) and we were just like not seeing eye to eye and then I, we had to redo all my baseline because obviously like nothing three months later is good. So I went for my baseline work and I had like a follow-up appointment with her and my appointment, let's say was like 9am and she takes me like 940 and I work a full-time job. Like I'm a very, very dedicated employee. I am a workaholic and she basically like comes in. She's like, Hey, and I was like, you're late. And she said, oh, like, I am just like a really, really good restaurant that you like, you wait long time, but you know, it's going to be good. And I was like, don't like that. I was like, <laughs> uh, you're and I was like, and by the way, I appreciate that analogy, but I haven't been waiting to eat for three years. So like, no, this is not going to be okay. Like, it's never going to work with me. And so she did diagnose me with like a 15 centimeter fibroid maybe not 15, maybe it was seven at the time. Anyway, seven centimeter fibroid. Um, and she like did all the like, whatever surgeries, like saline things through my things. Everything was good except for that fibroid. And she said, oh, you're going to be fine. Like people get pregnant with fibroids all H- the HSG, time. is that what it's called? Is that what yeah. you, okay, you put that? Yeah, they did like a few other tests, like, and yeah. they like scrape things. Like it was bizarre. Yeah. Um, it was not pleasant. Um, I remember being in pain for after one of them for like two days. Yeah. Um, and I've yeah. been in pain my entire life. My cramps, like I've called in sick school, I've called in work. Yeah. I've thrown up from pain. I've passed out. So like I've, that's I've all, known. That's all super normal. Yeah. I mean, every worry. woman experiences that. <laughs> Painful if you are not in pain at least once a month, you're not a woman. In case you the joys of the sarcasm, that was a joke. I know, I know. <laughs> you have painful periods, yell, get help. Um, it's really funny because I've always wanted to have a boy because I didn't want a boy to have bad periods because I've had bad periods. Everybody I know had bad periods. So I thought it was just like a woman yeah. thing. Yeah. It was our cross to bear. So anyway, yeah. um, and with her and that comment and more money spent on tests, I came home and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then we got pregnant naturally. I think, I don't know, like maybe the saline sonogram, whatever they did, like flushed everything out and we got pregnant and we were 
in Barcelona, Morocco, and Paris at the time of pregnancy. So we were like gone for two, 10 days, two weeks. So vacations do do work. <clears throat> um, but also like all the other stuff does help with that too. And I looked at my like calendar for pregnancy or my periods and I was like, oh shoot, like I really missed it. Like when you're on vacation, you forget about all that. Yeah. And I think I was about like, eight-ish nine-ish weeks you know and it's just like so I called my RE and I was like hey doctor obviously I didn't talk to her and I was like hey I'm pregnant like I would like to um schedule and they're like well you didn't get pregnant through us so we recommend you go see your OB and I'm like what like okay so then I went I called my OB office and they're like well we typically don't see like pregnancies until like 10 to 12 weeks Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shoot, like, okay. So I was just like happily pregnant. I created my registry. <laughs> um, it was really nice. And then I started bleeding. And then I went to the doctor and they said I had no baby. It was like blighted ovum by then. And um, it was before Easter, Friday, Good Friday. Yeah, Good Friday. Uh, they called in misoprostol, like the abortion pill and on Easter that's what we did fact that she didn't take me to see that pregnancy because she didn't help me get pregnant and the fact that she considered herself like a Michelin star restaurant that you have to wait for wouldn't have liked that I was livid and I was like girl you're not that important like I know you get women pregnant but come on that it was 2019 it was 2019 it was like april of 2019 when we um had our final like semi-natural loss right and uh or semi-natural pregnancy with the loss and then like october november i went to my ob and i said i'm done i can't do this anymore i mean like my entire marriage is i mean matt and i were having really bad year we yeah. fought all the time i've asked him to leave me i mean it was so toxic in our house. We, looking back, are like eight years that we've been together. It's been, the first two were great. And as soon as we got married, his mom passed away and then infertility came. And it just like, it's destroyed us. Just one and, blow after the other. Yeah. And it's like, and I think it's all my fault. I think I don't deserve anything good. So why is he stuck with a woman like me? So I I was sabotaging our marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, sadly enough, he stuck around or good enough for me. And, you know, my mom and I have a really bad relationship. My brother turned his back on me. My dad was really abusive. And why would anybody else love me if my own family can't love me? You know, and it's like, why would anybody love me if I can't even have a child? These are the things the reoccurring yeah. thoughts that go through my head. Like, I'm so broken. My friends turned their backs on me. Like, why anybody, including Matt, would want to stick around? And he still does. And it's so amazing that he still loves me through everything. So I went to my doctor and I was like, I want a hysterectomy. She's like, she's like, I know you have really bad periods. And I understand you wanting to do this. And I was like, we're just gonna adopt, you know, like, we haven't faced that much heartache. Like, I feel like if we set our mind to do this, I could do this. And I've always kind of wanted to adopt a because 
I volunteer at orphanages in Russia. So I've seen like how neglected those children are. And the other thing is, I just felt like I wish somebody would have adopted me at one point in my life. I wouldn't have been as abused. I wouldn't have been as neglected. I think I would have not been the person I am today, but I might have had a better, easier life. Right. Uh, And so with all that being said, I just thought like, and I hope adoptees don't take it the wrong way, but I wish somebody would have like called child protective services on me and pulled me out of my like family and given me to somebody that could love me and care for me. And it never happened. So I thought like I could do this for another child that was in a similar predicament as I once was. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And my doctor is like, well, I'm not going to do a hysterectomy until you do one more RE. She gave me three different names. And she's like, I don't want you to leave no stone unturned. Please talk to one more doctor. You don't have to go through them. She's like, call them, make an appointment, see how you feel. And if nothing, you don't jive with one of the doctors. She's like, we can talk about it. So I came home and I told Mab, this is what we're doing. And we've called three offices. And you guys know our E's like our presidents. You can't get on the schedule for like months. And one of the doctors was available like December. And so we went through him and he did find another, that same fibroid, which is now 15 centimeters. Right. Which is not a fibroid. He actually sent that information to um, like a surgeon of some sort at a university of Michigan, highly respected. And he says, it's not, um, it's not a fibroid. It's not a whatever medioma, uh, what are those called? Endometrioma. Yeah, that one. And he's like, it's actually adenomyosis because there is no start and there is no end and there's no way we can cut it out. Uh, if we cut it, we may never get out of there. We might actually have to like take everything out. She might bleed, blah, blah, blah. But because and based on where it's located, so like here's my uterus, this is my back. It's located in the front and the baby's usually attached like here in the backside there's no like muscle here it's all like sponge so he's like we can still get her pregnant i don't know if they were lying I right mean, i don't know if they knew what they were doing lying is a little bit harsh but so we did one round of ivf and here we are neither one of our embryos attached it was really heartbroken our august transfer was august 14th it was my brother my brother's birthday and the baby's due date would have been Georgianne's birthday. And I just felt like there's so much riding on that little embryo. And I felt all the symptoms during the two-week wait. Yeah. I felt everything. And I just I, I just felt like it was meant to be. And when we got the news, I mean, like, we were so gutted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take a pregnancy test at home. So we just waited for that call. They didn't call. But then I checked in the portal. And there was negative. I ended up canceling a couple meetings that afternoon. Because how do you take time off work? I mean, like, you're, you that's don't. Not a, <laughs> I didn't either. That's not a loss. You know what I mean? Like, I went to back to work immediately. So, and then I called my doctor and I was like, hey, being in program management, being in automotive, you root cause everything, right? Like, no failures happen that just go undiagnosed and he's like oh it just happens it's statistics like don't worry we'll get you pregnant on the next one i'm like this is my only one 
right we can't do this like we need to know before we put that thing in and he's like no no i don't trust eras i don't trust this i don't trust that receptiva dx like everything is gucci just put that in take three months off and we're, we're good to go and i just felt like it wasn't right yeah i just felt like we needed to know more and so i thought matt and i talked about it i have a very wonderful co-worker her name is Anne. She's like my bestie at work. She's also like 60 years old, but she's lovely. Wonderful, wonderful woman. And I called her. I was like, Anne, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I think I want to do another embryo retrieval or like egg retrieval cycle to bank some embryos. Because what if the next one doesn't work? And she's like, Anya, don't do that. She's like, go to the next one. You're still going to be young. You can do the egg retrieval after if it doesn't work. Don't put that much pressure on yourself. Don't have like, oh, I have like two more. Like, like take counting it one, down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Take one day at a time. Take one embryo at a time. Heal, process. Don't have like these backup plans. And I'm so glad I listened to her because like not having any more embryos after that failure and getting spontaneous pregnancy in January of last year and then losing that pregnancy on the 31st of January and then being told I have to have a hysterectomy. I don't know if I'd be able to take that news as well as I did having embryos frozen. Right. So how did they come to that? You have to have a hysterectomy. Was that part of that? So my adenomyosis, so my adenomyosis um, has been so, has gotten so bad over time. So when they went into mm-hmm. my, to remove my pregnancy on January 31st. They, um, no, it was an ophorectomy. So okay. they, they actually were able to see like everything in there. And sense. the doctor said anytime she would like touch the uterus, it would ooze blood. Yeah. And she's like, and she was so scared to like, like send me into like a hemorrhage because like anything could happen. It just like yeah. started bleeding, right. you know? And um, it was really hard. They removed my left ovary. I stayed in the hospital overnight by myself. And my doctor, my regular doctor came in the next morning because she happened to be on call. I don't know. She just showed up. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if she just showed up for me because she's that person. She's also the woman that sent me flowers on the baby's mm-hmm. would have been due date. Oh, and that's a good doctor. Yeah. She's one of a kind. And so she showed up and she like hugged me so tightly. She said, she's sorry. She went through me. She went with me through the photos from the other doctor that performed surgery that was on call. And she basically was like, we have to take that sucker out. She's like, it's not serving you. She's like, it's, it's a bad organ. She's like, we need to get that out. So I went through so they they gave me a shot of methotrexate because my beta kept on rising before I was released from the hospital. And they had to, I checked my beta like three days later. It went up again. I mean, like, as if miscarriage is not bad enough. You know what I mean? It's right, like, right. let me just really, like, screw you up more. Right. So on, what is that date? The day of Super Bowl last year. 
<laughs> I had to go back into the ER to get another shot of methoprostol, which mm-hmm. is like a cancer shot. It basically kills cells, mm-hmm. growing cells. And, and I'm like, so my OB is like, we're going to call them in to have them like expect you. So they're going to administer the shot. Nothing is that easy in the American medical system. Correct. You come in <laughs> and they're like, oh, you're pregnant. And I was like, I am not. Yeah. Well, we have to do pregnancy tests. And I was like, I am not pregnant. I was literally just here a week ago. Like, please just do what I told you. No, we're going to do a test. And then we're going to congratulate you on your positive beta. And we're going to do an ultrasound. And then oh we're going to do goodness. all of this. And I was just like, Matt and I are like five hours later. We're just like, oh, my God, why? Yeah. So I called the office. I paged the doctor. And I was like, if I go through another test, I may become violent. Right. Um, and I was like, I need Xanax. And they're like, we can't give you Xanax. You're pregnant. I was like, I'm not pregnant. So finally, my doctor talked to somebody. They administered my shot. They have to keep you there for 30 minutes. And then they let me go home. And I was just like shaking. Um, sure enough, they're like, we're going to have my numbers went up again. So we had to do a DNC. And there was a third doctor that took a look at my uterus. And he was like, that's not a good uterus. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't keep her around. And so it was a tough decision to make between Matt and I and everything that we've been through and how many sleepless nights, how many days I am in the fetal position, taking tramadol for pain for my menstrual cramps. Right. Uh, Every month that my period starts, how traumatic it is for me to know that I'm not pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And as much as it was painful, I, we both thought it was the right decision to make. And I went into my surgery fully knowing I'm going to die because like, how, yeah. I mean, I think I might've messaged you thinking like, am I going to die? Like, and how do you go through all of this? Like, what is the grand finale? Right? Like I've got so much that happened and I failed IVF, a spontaneous pregnancy that ended in the loss, two shots to end the pregnancy, a surgery, a DNC, and my numbers just like were astronomical. And then so finally, much trauma, like so yeah, much trauma. And, and, in, and it was all like packed in two months. Yeah. And so, and then I was like, the the grand finale is going to be me dying on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And then my I received a note from like my chart from the hospital saying another surgeon was added to my surgery and I was like oh my gosh so I text my OB and I was like what what is happening like why are we getting another doctor she's like oh I just want help in case like anything goes wrong and and she's like it's a precaution it's not like already already anxious and and I was like I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and I was like right like doctor like I'm gonna die and she's like no you're not gonna die she's like the reason why I have a second second set set of hands is so like we can catarize quickly if needed like I am prepared to uh, like attack any obstacle with a second set of hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know how anxious you are and I want to make sure you feel safe. So how did you understand. feel post hysterectomy? Let's go through those feelings. Um, well, I woke up in the hospital all alone. I was crying for my husband and they're like we can't and I had really hard time coming out of anesthesia I was so nauseous I was so sick I was like I want my husband here and they're like I'm sorry we can't and I was like I was like I just delivered my uterus I want my husband here like I know you have them here for delivered babies 
I delivered my uterus and I'm like, obviously I'm like not as high strong because I'm like sick as hell. And, and they were just like not letting him come in. And I was very devastated. So I FaceTimed him as soon as I like was transferred upstairs and, uh, I cried and I cried and it was really sad and I wanted him next to me. I was pushing that button to like numb my feelings. Um, and then my hospital plays that stupid lullaby, which is really, really hard. Yeah. I would plug my headphones in and then they die and then I charge them and like whatever. Um, and I think like the same day I went around the block in the hospital, like I walked around with my thing and the nurse was like walking next to me and she's like, I was like, you don't need to hold me. I'm fine. Yeah. And she's like, no, I have to. And I was like, don't touch me. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to do this on my own because I want to be home tomorrow. They didn't send me home the next day, but anyway. Um, and then like they took my catheter out and they were like, you may have like, it may take you like a few hours to potty. And I was like, I'm going to do it now. Like I'm yeah. very, I'm very determined. And I think that's why not getting pregnant sucked so much because like I am very determined and I will work really hard to get the things I want. And pregnancy just wasn't one of them. Yeah. So healing from hysterectomy was pretty amazing. Granted, I still at times feel like a whale because I don't have a feeling in my stomach since I had an abdominal surgery. Yeah. Uh, I don't either from my belly button to my incision. I don't have yes, in my lower. Same. It's interesting. Like my dogs will like jump on me. You know, they put their paws and I don't feel it unless like they push harder. Yeah. Like, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was released to go home. Matt and I would go for walks around the neighborhood and I was healing really well. I went to my doctor, my post-op appointment, and I was like, I feel good. Yeah. And she's like, isn't it amazing how good you feel after removing a bad organ out of your body? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I bet you, you feel better than you did pre-surgery. And I was like, a hundred percent. I was walking very much a, the same way. Yeah. Like walking with my uterus in, like a radiated pain. I would like take a step and I would just like feel like vibration of pain. Yeah. I remember um you messaging me before your hysterectomy. And I remember your your fears and your questions. And I was like, you know, everything that you read out there, you're going to be so scared. Like yes. you're going to be like, this is the worst surgery of my life. And I was like, I just want to be honest with you it was the greatest thing for me. And, um, I think that you felt very much similar after yeah. I mean, physically, and, physical. And I think, yeah. And I think like everybody's experiences are different. They right? Are. Like, mm-hmm. I think for me it was, and Kaylee, I think that's kind of what you said earlier. It is grieving a true loss, mm-hmm. but knowing that it's not there anymore. For you yeah. grieving your infertility and inability to have a child, knowing that you have every organ to make it happen yeah. is so much harder. For me, it was the end. For me, yeah. it you was closure in a way, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like there was no more um, spontaneous pregnancy that is going to break me even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no more another month that's going to remind me that I can't be a mom. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I was somewhere in the middle because I very much grieved my infertility before I got to my hysterectomy. So 
I definitely can understand both sides of that. Um, It's just really It's so hard. I mean, I'm sitting here today. My period should start any minute. And the fact that it didn't start when I woke up, I have, like, all these, like, thoughts, right? What if? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. But But I still have to go through it, right? Because that organ is still in my body. Yeah. Um, You know, there are two women that have been childless that have since gotten pregnant since I became childless spontaneously. Mm -hmm. And both of those pregnancies really, really hurt me. Yeah. And I, it's, and by the way, it's not about them. It's about yeah. me. You're I am, your pain. I wouldn't want their, I wouldn't want anything to happen to them, their babies, their future. Because in the way, I think it's pretty freaking cruel that you accept something, you move forward and then your body is like, hello. Yeah. I've arrived. Yeah. Later. It's hard not to have negative feelings associated when something finally goes right with somebody else. But for and it me, takes years of trauma and work and healing and acceptance and detachment for you to even have that not bother you. And, and it never happened. Yeah. And for me, I was that spontaneous pregnancy, you know, after failures. Mm-hmm. And it ended so abruptly, you know, and it ended so cruel. And when I hear these women, it almost triggers that excitement that I felt and the, the, like the crashing down, that's why it hurt me more. Not because Mm -hmm. like, I didn't want them to have this for me, it was triggering and reminder of my own series of events. Metsy and I've talked a ton about how, like, especially the ones we write off, like you're in this with me. You're I'm safe, very, very candid with yeah. like where I yes. am in my journey to this podcast because I'm infertile. It hasn't worked. I've had miscarriages. I have this. This is what I see my future being. Mm-hmm. Somebody knocked on my door and said, here's a pain-free, risk-free, guarantee mm-hmm. trial. Like I would still be like, oh, really? Tell me about it. Right? It's hard to yeah, hard to get to the point where you're truly okay. And I, I guess that was kind of one of my questions for you is, where are you like now? Are you identifying as kidless still? Have you processed some of that? Like what has it been since the miscarriage and the so, surgery and the hysterectomy and all that? It's hard. I, I, I think it with tomorrow being the, the day, you know, like this mm-hmm. month has been exceptionally difficult because it's like, I remember where I was last year and Matt was like, how many more anniversaries are we going to have? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like one, like two more. There's a DMC. There's my hysterectomy. But I don't know if these dates mm-hmm. would ever not feel as something special. Right. I know they're going to feel less tender. Uh, I know they're going to become part of our story. But I don't know if they're never going to. I don't know if they're ever going to feel like a normal day. I don't um, think you should ever have pressure that they should. If you had a child that lived years of life on this earth and you lost them, no one would ever put that pressure on you to no. at some point quit caring about that date. Like, yeah, you get a morning. For- and, Your grief and, is not any less. No. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think like not having the opportunity to live the life you once envisioned is far greater grief for me than the loss of my babies. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, my losses are now explained by my adenomyosis. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, there is a reason behind it. But the fact that, like, I nobody diagnosed me early enough. Nobody told me soon enough that this is your story, Anya. Right. If I've been able to forego all this heartache 
knowing that I'll never have an opportunity to conceive after my marriage, I believe I would have been so much further along in my process of grief. And I'm childless or child free, you may want to know, right? I think I'm still childless. I'm still really yeah. sad about it. Which is okay. You absolutely can be. You're still grieving. Like, it hasn't even been a year since your hysterectomy. So let's discuss you're starting a nonprofit, right? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about, about that. that. What do you want to know? I um, want to know, like, what your mission is, what you hope to accomplish with it. Pitch um, this to um, me, Anya. I know nothing. What okay, is a nonprofit? Uh, we had a lot of names that we've been like kind of saving for our baby. And uh, one of one of the names we had was Lucia Eleanor. I love and that. Lu- Lucia means um, light. And yeah. Eleanor, it means bright or shining one. So and I was like, oh, my gosh, like we can be shining lights. Um, so I'm thinking like calling it either Lucia Eleanor or just like Lucia Foundation, which is shining light on involuntary childlessness. I think that's yeah. perfect. Um, so our what is the community is designed specifically for men and women who are facing involuntarily child involuntary childlessness, a place to belong and be surrounded with like-minded individuals who understand your grief and longing. Our how is advocating at medical offices on inclusive policies like non-pregnancy hours at OB offices or ending celebratory lullabies throughout the hospital after baby is born. We would like to partner up with fertility clinics to offer exit strategy a brochure of our nonprofits to offer support. We will hold gathering and holidays like Mother's and Father's Days to make you feel loved and celebrated for your other contributions to the world. Offer discounted annual trips to connect with other childless people and create community where you belong. Partner up with professionals to help you reignite the love with yourself and your body. Find the spark in your relationships after years of losses. Provide fitness and nutritional support. Love it. Um, and our why is to provide support to men, women, and families forcing childlessness due to various circumstances such as infertility, timing, health issues. We want to offer a sense of community, belonging, and advocacy to the childless community throughout their journey, starting with medical treatment, inclusion to relationship with self and others, providing support during challenging times. Um, I think that's so, a really lovely mission. Thank you. Um, there are a few other items that I'm like, looking to kind of offer I was thinking like partnering up with like photographers and like offering like a photography session I also want to do um, care packages to send out to women after losses um, yeah kind of doing like a different um, like doing like a shower like a shower with love rather than like for a baby like yeah shower yeah. us with things we need I think just the education and somebody from an outside source, <clears throat> yeah, from an outside source, just saying, "Hey, these are things you can do," instead of just yeah. feeling like you're lost and alone and no one gets it, and yeah. you should stay quiet. Like it's very much giving people their voice back. Yeah, really from people who have been there, I think it's a really uh, impactful thing for sure. Yeah. Into one of the other topics we want to talk about is the childless retreat. So. Yeah. Give a spiel about how Ooh. like how you came to that and what that is and how we're excited for it. Um, well, so childless retreat. I've been like thinking about it because it's really nice to have you guys on social media. And yeah. And then I did a three day cancer walk, breast cancer walk in Cleveland with my friend. He was like, I'm in Ohio. 
I will come visit you. And I'm like, really? So mm-hmm. she came up and we talked and we touched and we like hugged and uh, it was really nice to see her in person. And I just felt like how good it is to connect with somebody who gets you. Yeah. Not like through social media. And my friend, my husband is like, well, you have all these friends on social media. And I'm like, it's not the same. Not like, the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really like, yes, I could message them in, in the group and be like, hey, I'm having a really rough day. Nobody's going to drive over and like have a glass of wine with me. Right. Nobody's going to come over and be like, hey, I baked you a cupcake, you know, or illness. Yeah. I think is so important. And I know we're coming out of COVID and it's like everybody's so terrified of traveling and catching COVID. But I think I want to be safe. I want to keep it to a smaller group of women. Um, I don't really want to go all out and club all night, all day. Um, so we that's very much my style <laughs> yeah I so had, had you pegged for that party animal <laughs> I mean I'm a party animal yeah. I used to be I don't even know who I am anymore Anya I um, fully believe you could bring it back out Betsy you will pick us up in the morning with breakfast <laughs> just know yes I will be ready in the morning <laughs> Betsy be like why are we not doing anything guys I'm bored <laughs> no so uh, we are going to South Carolina, right? Yep, Correct. we're going to Myrtle Beach. So we've looked at few South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. We have a really nice house with yeah, a yeah. private pool. So if you don't want to be surrounded by lots of strangers, if we just hang at the pool. Yeah. And yeah. having our own little time. So so Betsy, I reached out to her and I was like, I need help. Like, would you want to do this with me? And she's like, I would love that. So we did it. We did. And yeah, we, did. we have seven of us coming three from this call and then the others uh, that are joining us and I think it's going to be very awesome I as much as I'd love to plan things and have an agenda (laughs) I'm not doing it I want it to be very relaxed I want it to be yeah I wanted it to be about us and how we feel in the moment if two three girls want to go somewhere and the rest don't I am fine with this. Yeah, everybody can do their own thing if they want. Um, we did want it to be like super non-restrictive and uh, yep. very chill. If you I will. want it to like, be healing, healing. Yeah, yeah, and yes. we don't want it to be about our childlessness all of the time. I we think don't at all. That no, was I a think... huge seller for me from Betsy is like I I have this common denominator. It's probably going to come up. That's how we relate. That's why we want to be friends. But do I want to spend money and time to go be sad? Or is it going to be like, we all get each other and this is a, a way for us to hang out and have yeah. more friends. And I'm like, okay, that makes me feel better. The, other, the previous made me a little nervous. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So I think I'm okay having like a child-free theme, right? Like we're going to celebrate right. the things that we have, mm-hmm. but there is going to be one taboo topic and it's infertility. If yeah. somebody wants to have a fireside chat on the side between the two of them and tell yeah. their story... I'm okay doing that. I'm yeah. cool some... one-on-one, but I don't and... want it to be the center of everything. And the other thing is, like, I want to, I don't want to sound really strict, but I want to limit alcohol because alcohol and sadness make a really bad combination. Yeah. I, I want this to be light and carefree and child-free and celebrating us for who we are yeah. and not for what we are not. Does yeah. it make sense? Yep. No. The majority of women that are that are coming are, are all different stages, and it's almost mm-hmm. like a mentorship in a way. Like, 
So anyway, um, I think it should be very beneficial for all of us. And I know some women might be scared, like, oh, I don't really want to go and hang out with all these like sad and fertile women. Yeah. <laughs> but there's more to us than infertility. And I think we need to foster that because my, my two life things right now, I'll tell you, is work and infertility and childlessness right. and sadness around it. I need to do more things that bring out more of me because the more I sit in those two little boxes, the more I become those two boxes. Right. I need to start. Right. I, I think we all need to start doing things that are bring out more of us. Like I just want to wrap this up. I just really want to thank Anya for being here with us this morning. Um, we love hearing your story. Um, tell people where they can find you. Yes, you guys can find me in Washington Township, Michigan. Don't come <laughs> looking for me. But you can really find me on Instagram at finding.childless.joy. Uh, you can also check out my store called Supercalm, yeah, com. Yeah, and uh, you can also find my journal, Navigating the Unknown, on Lulu Publishing and Amazon, and you can get a PDF copy on Etsy. Yeah. Go to her page. She has a cool link. Anya's underselling yeah. herself a ton. She has done so much. I like cruise through your links when I'm looking for resources. Oh, first. thank so you. Go to her IG page. Look at her resources. Her content's amazing. We appreciate Sounds your time. Great. Thank you. Thank so you guys much for, for interviewing me. And we love you, obviously. <laughs> love, love you. See you soon. A big thank you to Anya again for sharing her story with us. We are so grateful to call her a friend. If you have any questions, let us know. We'll make sure she gets them. Otherwise, we're super excited for the upcoming kid-free retreat. We're excited to strengthen these bonds, and we couldn't be more grateful that you guys are here with us. This has been Not Your Mama Pod.